Stories like yours, although highly puffed up and stylized, are usually relegated to the pages of a popular novel or the silver screen, where they continue to capture our collective imagination over and over again. No matter the incarnation or the medium, we simply never get tired of this character, the character of a spy. And not that that's an accurate representation of anything, of course, but they're simply never going to stop making a James Bond or a Jason Bourne or whatever, because we're never going to be fed up with it. Um, We keep coming back for more. So my first question to you is this. When you think about your story, do you sometimes still pinch yourself in disbelief? Like thinking, holy cow, I was a real spy. I was the guy. How utterly crazy is that? Or is it one of those things where your life is the only one you've ever lived? And even if it sounds extraordinary to other people, to you, it just seems normal. I pinch myself more often about the life that I have today. Interesting. And I tell you why. Please. I tell you why. Because uh, I meet so many interesting people. And this is like, you know, my brand, my past is like a key that opens all kinds of doors that I didn't even know existed. I mean, I can I can now continue talking for the rest of the evening about all these great, smart, successful, wonderful, uh, your heart-centered people that I know, mostly men, uh, some women, um, but uh, it, it's just amazing. And it, it, it happens almost every week that somebody pops up and says, oh my God, Here's another person who who could be a really, really good friend. You mentioned uh, East Germany. You were born in 1949, I believe, in what was East Germany, uh, in Jena or close to Jena, right? No, no, no. Jena Jena was where I went to college. University, Uh, yeah. Well, I was born as a small small city uh, right on the border. You know, there's there's a triangle where Germany... Borders both uh, borders both Poland and the Czech Republic, and uh, surprise, surprise! I'm only half German and genetically a quarter Polish and a quarter Czech. Oh well, welcome to the fold. I'm Slovenian, so we're um, we're fellow Slavs then, at least partially. <laughs> yeah, half of it. <laughs> uh, on your mother or on your father's side. Uh, are you uh, like half? Uh, I mean, quarter Polish and quarter. Yeah, I don't know. They they both uh, grew up in in, a, in the same region. I see. So they didn't grow up in the same town, the same village, but in the same area of the country. So it could be both. But I'm thinking yeah. it's mostly my mother, because yeah. uh, genetically, you know, as far as my behavior and uh, you know my. My my character, my basic character, I'm more like her than my dad. I see. Uh, but they were both native German speakers, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You were studying chemistry at the University of Vienna, though. That part is correct. Yes, right? sir. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned this high, highly unusual proposition. But before we go to that proposition itself, why do you think it was you specifically who was approached? Which Which criteria did you fulfill? Mm-hmm. That was important. Well, uh, first of all, I, I nobody ever told me the uh, the events that happened for for uh, me finally being asked whether I was ready to join. I know uh, pretty much what 
they were looking for for candidates for this kind of a job. This I found out, you know, many, many years. It's so funny that you're calling it a job, like it's a nine to five, even though we're all like, oh, my God, this is the most, you know, crazy, exciting thing of all All time. Mission. Mission. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) The the information I I gathered was uh, uh, came out of interviews uh, that were given by two uh, ex-directors of the Directorate S, the Illegals Directorate that was under part of the, the first Directorate Espionage. And they were pointing out uh, the character traits that they were looking for, a, a, a sort of a character profile with a, about a dozen entries. Uh, and obviously they were looking for really, really smart people. Yeah, They were looking for people that, that were fearless they were looking for people who had no problem with change. And they were looking for, you know, uh, people who can make re- quick decisions uh, and, and quick and good decisions. And the, the, my favorite uh, was, uh, uh, I'm going to finish with that. Uh, there were a few more, but my favorite was uh, a well-controlled inclination for adventure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, what? You know, I, I I was always an adventurous kind of person, even as a child. And, uh, you know, and that goes uh, with uh, high risk tolerance. Collection of those character traits didn't necessarily making me a better person, but it, it is it is rather unusual. OK, so and it and it took him uh, 18 months to even, you know, figure me out and making sure that, you know, I fit the mold, so to speak. 18 months after the first contact. I had 18 months worth of uh, informal contact with uh, with one agent who uh, who was stationed in Jena, and you know we we talked about everything. He became sort of like my second father because uh, my dad left the family, and this fellow was about 10 years older than me. And I, you know, I was glad to have a male in my life to share everything, everything, including weaknesses and. And, uh, you know, things that I didn't like and on and on and on. I was just completely honest. And, uh, you know, the guy was, he, he was, he, I never met a psychologist who studied me in, in the KGB. That was him. It was his judgment that, that he went, that he sent to Berlin, uh, and, uh, which then triggered, uh, the, uh, the, um, the question. Uh, by the head of the KGB in East Germany. So, are you are you gonna are you gonna be joining us? So, and at that point, I thought I was in, but not really. Once I said yes, but and and actually, that question was a final test, and it was not really the final test, but the first the the the, the final test to to just make sure that I'm the right person. He gave me until. Uh, he gave me less than 24 hours to come up with a, the answer. Mm-hmm. So if I had stalled, they would have they would have said, "Okay, this is not the guy." You no, know, go, go. Yeah, no, go back. Go back to your your, your job as a professor at the university. I already was an assistant professor, and no no harm done. Okay, they would have just figured, you know, this guy this guy is not quick enough. In, in terms of making decisions. And I'm super quick. I shoot from the hip. Uh, so uh, the final question is actually a test, whether you'd say yes or no. It was a test. I didn't know it was a test. 
So after There's you said, other, yeah, please go ahead. There was a couple of other tests that I didn't know they were tests. Such as? Well, Can you talk about them? When I said yes, uh, we made arrangements for me to quit the university. And within a month's, month's time, I showed up in Berlin with a suitcase and a, and a briefcase. And not much. I didn't have much in, in terms of belongings. And I figured, you know, this is the KGB. I would be given a nice place to live. No, no. <clears throat> so I meet my, my new handler named Nikolai, and we we were in his car, and he looked at me and he says, I already have a task for you. I says, ooh, uh, what is it? And I was, like, getting excited. He said, you got to find a place to live. <laughs> now, uh, my heart dropped from here down to, you know, very low, uh, but being the stoic that I didn't know I was and I am, I didn't show any any reaction. Poker face. Because it was an yeah, it was an impossible task. Because all living space uh, was uh, was uh, owned and managed by the government. Right. And, and and there were married couples with children who lived with their parents. There was a, there was waiting a list. Of, absolutely. So there were no apartments available, and I couldn't afford a hotel. Okay, there were not like in. In uh, when I uh, arrived in New York, I stayed at a hotel for one year, where the rent was month by month by month. These are as a single room occupancy, <clears throat> and uh, so um, if I fail that test, I'm out. Now I I wasn't aware of that. You know, I just found some damn some like uh, a room with a, a concrete room, a windowless room that had uh, a bed. A table and running cold water. I did. I didn't tell Nikolai anything. I just told him I found something. Mm. And then the 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 last test that I actually became aware of uh, because I met somebody who failed that test was when they sent me uh, to the other side of the of the Berlin Wall. And uh, to West that, Berlin. Yeah, just like, you know, just go there and walk around and, you know. But, and, right. uh, but, but the wall yeah. was already there or was it just the, the bar? Oh, yeah, the, the wall fence? was there. Oh, oh. I see. No, 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 the wall was there. So, and, and I traveled with an East German passport, but, you know, I was in enemy territory, right? And I had to go twice. The first time just, you know, you know just, just smell the air and look around. <clears throat> Second time I had to go to an apartment. And, and ring the bell and uh, find a way to talk to the occupants and find out something I, I know about them or whatever. I, didn't, I don't quite remember. Just a specific person was, or random? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a specific person. It was an operational task. Wow. And the reason that I know that this was also a test because I met a classmate of mine accidentally who, <clears throat> who had failed the same test for East German uh, secret police, uh, Stasi. When, <clears throat> when, when, when he came back from his test visit, he told him, "I can't do that." Uh, and guess what? He never worked as an engineer. He he had uh, he had a degree in engineering. He had to uh, fight his way uh, through a whole bunch of odd jobs, and eventually wound up uh, selling uh, trading and model train sets. In hindsight. 
some of the most dangerous situations I I was in in my career or, or wannabe career that was right at the beginning. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. Before we go on, if we rewind just a little bit back. Yeah, sure. Why did you say yes? Was it the sense of adventure you always had or were reasons a little bit more ideological? Yes. Without the ideological foundation, I wouldn't have signed up. Right. I mean, it was a foundation, but uh, the, the, uh, the adventure was, uh, I mean, that, that was a big, big, big uh, bait in front of me. But, and, but finally, and I want to quote Kim Philby, uh, you know, Kim Philby. Yeah, the famous spy. Yes, when he when when he was asked, you know, why he joined, he said, "Well, it's a, when the most powerful intelligence agency in, on the planet and in history asks you to join, you don't think twice about it." There was a there was a, a phenomenal uh, amount of flattery in that offer. Right, a certain yeah, sense of you know, prestige that they picked you. Right, when you're in, at that age, and I was in my mid twenties. First of all, I had already aced high school, and I had. Uh, received a national scholarship uh, that that was limited to 100 concurrent holders so i already was the elite okay mm. i was i was going places i most likely i would have wound up in government and so i was already like really full of myself and now comes this offer right you can't say no to that <laughs> Never, never mind all the negative thoughts and all the bad things that could happen. You know, I was at a point where everything I touched uh, turned out to be uh, successful. I even make, made myself into a functioning basketball player, even though I had no talent. That's impressive because I'm a big basketball nut and it's not the easiest game out there. I had no left hand. It yeah, doesn't matter. I still don't. I, I, wound, I wound up playing on the, on the fifth best uh, team in East Germany. Wow. Respect. Yeah, because I, I, I worked like a maniac and I, you know, I, I, I ran and I jumped and I, and I knew how to flop. And <laughs> which, which position did you play? I played uh, forward in those days. You know, at my height, uh, I was pretty, I was one of the tallest people and the, the taller ones were very awkward. I'm six feet uh, three. I would play point guard in college. Oh, wow. You're, yeah. You're still, you're tall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you, say that Germans were particularly uh, popular recruits within the KGB? I'm in Japan right now. And of course, uh, Japan is the country where one of the most famous spies of all time, Richard Zorge, um, another right. German worked, he infiltrated the German embassy here during the Second World War and actually found out yeah. that um, the Nazis planned to attack the Soviet Union. Um, so it's an interesting, I just read uh, his biography coincidentally and it just made me think wait maybe germans are uh well predisposed to be spies this is a educated guess uh but russians for some reason because of their language have a hard time to get rid of their accent i see so you, i mean but germans can have a strong accent too let's uh, i mean okay arnold schwarzenegger is austrian yes. but a lot of illegals were smuggled into third countries uh, and if you, let's say, travel with a German accent and you go to Brazil and you, you seek, uh, you know, you, you want to 
get some kind of documentation to be able to work there and then you get it become a citizen then you then you can legally emigrate it's uh, canada and and uh, brazil were favorite countries I see. Uh, to do that so i think germans uh the only other illegal that uh of the batch that i belong to that i am aware of is also a german he wound up living in in new york at the same time i did about five miles we were about five miles uh away from each other didn't know about each other and and he had been sent with his wife but he did not do what i did you know because he's he's he speaks english with a bit of an accent i see uh, i i can hear my own accent but it's it's negligible and easy to explain right how did you explain it by the way uh my my by by accident uh, the birth certificate of jack barsky has his mother his mother's maiden name schwartz german so i yeah the the, the german jewish but it could be not, it could be non-jewish it could be just german and uh, we in in the backstory we just killed my father uh he died in his 30s of a heart attack which caused me some problems when i when i uh, you know had to tell doctors my medical history they were really worried <laughs> oh it's fascinating um so let's go back you're in berlin for a while but then i think you go have some additional training in Moscow. Is that oh, correct? Yeah. How does that oh, happen? Yeah, because, well, it, uh, I got some basic training in Berlin. That was supposed to be about two years. Uh, and w- part of the training, I, I was required to acquire another language. Uh, another what? Than, Excuse me. I didn't hear you. Another language. Okay. Another language, yeah. <clears throat> uh, and And they allowed me to pick the language, so I picked English. And uh, like with everything else I did in those days, and I still do today, when I when I do something, I give it a hundred percent, and I I went I went at it like a maniac every day. Okay. But were you a complete and, beginner, uh, or did you know some English already? I knew I had some school English. I see. So not much. And I, I no, I I actually started from scratch. Yeah. Wow. Impressive. We, we, uh, the first tutor that uh, I had, uh, we worked off of uh, the beginner's book, uh, high school book. <clears throat> but I pretty quickly advanced to the next guy, and then uh, I outgrew him. And as the third guy, I, I had I had conversations with, and after that, there was nobody available anymore. And I was already able to read novels without the help of a dictionary. And when Moscow found that out, they had the light bulb went on and said, "Wait a minute." Uh, so they had me speak uh, freely into a tape recorder, uh, whatever, and, and uh, they were sent back to Moscow. And within a week, I was on a plane to Moscow to be, uh, to be interviewed by two ladies. One was a born American, and the other one was a teacher, an English teacher at Moscow University. Obviously, she, she was KGB. And uh, after twenty minute talk, they withdrew uh, to to another room, and they were talking back and forth. And it turned out that the American overruled the the Russian who had her doubts. Uh, but the American said, "I can work with him." Hmm. It's American optimism, 
And uh, so uh, now I moved to Moscow and I spent two and a half years in Moscow. Uh, I, I worked with this woman uh, for, uh, you know, twice. I met her twice a week, uh, every week. And every evening for a year and a half, I did these phonetics exercises. Again, like I did like stuff, repetitive stuff because it had to be done. You know, so I had one tape. Okay. Phonetics tape where the an English speaker says a word and you repeat it. And, and that is how I, uh, I got rid of like, I would say 90% of my German accent and another 5% followed when I uh, was introduced to uh, one Robert, uh, not uh, uh, Morris Cohen, who, who, who was an atomic spy and, uh, and uh, wound up eventually in the Soviet Union after he was exchanged uh, in a prisoner exchange. Wow. And he wound up uh, doing espionage in England as well. So anyway, uh, I finally had a male voice I could model myself after because the woman is a different story. And so it, it, it was roughly about five years after I started my training in Berlin, I was launched to the United States. Wow. Uh, just a second. What else did the training include? Okay, uh, getting rid of your accent is one thing, language training... Yes, part of that. What, what else? Uh, what are the skills well, that were needed well, in the seventies uh, and expected? They had in this, yeah, please. This trade craft, right? Uh, what what is, all the skills? These were skills that you had to acquire. They were not talents that uh, I was born with, right? Uh, technical skills. I had to learn Morse code. I had to learn shortwave, uh, you know, reception. I had to learn. Uh, Algorithms uh, for decryption and in encryption, uh, secret writing, uh, meeting protocols, uh, dead drop operations. You know what a dead drop operation is? Right. You leave something somewhere and then somebody picks it up yeah, or vice versa. That, that's correct. It's, it's an asynchronous uh, exchange of objects as opposed to, as opposed to information. And, uh, the, and um, photography, I, I learned how to make micro dots. Uh, did I say secret writing? Oh, you and did. surveillance detection. Surveillance, surveillance detection, detection, so figuring out if somebody's oh. following you. Oh, yeah, that was huge. I mean, the skill uh, with regard to surveillance detection is that you, you, you cannot be... You, it cannot be clear that you're looking for surveillance. So you have to do something that looks quite normal. That means you need to find spots where if somebody is following you, and that's usually a team, where one of that team is close enough so you can see their face. And so if you see the same face twice, you know that uh, uh, you're being followed. Now, interestingly enough, that skill set it's a little bit out of date because I met uh, the woman who uh, is another a person I can brag about, who, who together with her husband, developed uh, uh, faces that can be changed very quickly. What, like a mask? Uh, she has a, yeah, she has a picture of herself as a mask, of herself uh, looking like a black man. 
Okay, wow. Yeah, and that can be, they, they, that, it, the changes will, will take no longer than a minute. So, so now, now you have to pay attention to the shoes. <laughs> oh, interesting. I see. So you you can you can change your face shoes. you can change your face quicker than your shoes. Uh, well, people forget, you know. Right. Wow. <laughs> it's 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 harder, uh, mm. and and I don't know if every uh, counterintelligence service knows uh, is familiar with that technique. Uh, so, but anyway, that that was my big advantage that I had. Uh, Phenomenal uh, memory of uh, faces. How do you not get, once you receive this training, especially in counter-surveillance, how do you not get constantly paranoid in your everyday life? I think I would be the worst spy of all time because I'm already like a little bit anxious. And then, you know, uh, armed with this sort of training, I would just be looking over my shoulder constantly when I was in enemy territory. Yeah, that's a big no-no, obviously. Uh, and didn't, didn't I tell you tell you I'm a stoic? You yeah, uh, you did, you did, me, you did mention that. People ask me, were you ever afraid? No, I was uh, tense in certain situations, but afraid? No, I just like I did what I had to do, and and that's that is, I think, the best, if not the only way, to be successful in this business. Because if if you if you're worried. And and you're fearful. You're going to make decisions based on fear, and that's the worst decisions you can make. You're going to make mistakes then. Okay, I was I was like I call this execution mode. I was very mechanical when I had to uh, perform these particular tasks. Just, I needed to know. I I knew, I knew what what I needed to do, and I just did it. And I uh, in my in my brain, I didn't. I'm not going to say it, but um, for for emphasis, I would like to say the F word. Like, just get. <laughs> you can totally say it if you want to on this podcast. Yeah, get get the fuck, get it done. Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, just uh, one last question regarding training. This is a trope in every spy film, but did you get any sort yeah. of weapons or martial arts training, or is that not really? necessary in that yeah i got i got some uh self-defense training really yeah in what kind of martial art is it judo is it karate that's in the 70s it was jujitsu jujitsu wow and and it was uh not to fight with the fbi it was uh because a lot of uh dead drop operations uh take place in in parks and places where there aren't too many people, where you could be subject to an ambush, being held up, right? Uh, yeah, and uh, and if you have you know material in your possession that uh, could 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 have uh, indicated that you're up to no good, uh, so so they were worried about something like that. So I, you know, I, I for over six months, once a week, I. I, uh, I I was trained, and for the first couple of years while, while I was in New York, you know, I spent every night before going to bed, I spent, you know, practicing my moves, but over time I said, well, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's you a... bit sloppy, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a real thing. That's really, really interesting. Anyway. But but no yeah. but no firearms, nothing. I, I, I never touched a firearm in my entire life. Right, right. Uh, no license to kill. No, you know, and you can even with martial arts, you can kill. Of course, with yeah. A certain move. Yeah, yeah. None of that. No. 
Um, I believe in 1978, you were finally sent on your mission in the US. Suddenly, you're alone in enemy territory, expected to navigate a country you've never been to before, if I understand it correctly, right? And not simply... You know, I started uh, from Moscow, I I flew to Belgrade. Oh, to Yugoslavia? uh, Yeah, Uh, but I didn't spend more than a half a day. All right. It was just uh, a way station. And from Belgrade, I took a train to... Vienna, you know, Austria, that, that was easy for me to of course. navigate, right? Uh, but then I wound up in Italy, in Rome. So a lot of people that um, would have a problem, and I, I found a way to get through because you need to find your way. Mm-hmm. You, I didn't speak the language at all. Not right. even a little bit. And there's no internet in uh, those days. No, and I had to and I had to uh, meet an, another agent and exchange passports. In Rome. I, I met one agent in Vienna and we exchanged passports there. And then in, in, in Rome, I, I got my Canadian passport. And from there, from Rome, I went via Madrid and wound up in Mexico City. And I didn't speak an, a, one word of Spanish. <laughs> and I, I managed to find my way to a... I think English did reasonably well in Mexico, at least, but not with regard to the science. It wasn't a bilingual country, but a lot of people spoke English. Yeah. So, and uh, from there, I uh, I took a plane, uh, landed in Chicago, and that's well, that was my point of entry in the United States. What are your first moves then in the U.S.? I had to find a place to stay overnight because it was already dark. Seems right. to be a bit of a theme finding a place to stay in the spy's life. Yeah, yeah, and and, and I'm and I for the longest time I didn't have a lot of luck because this one, uh, uh, I was not given any help by the KGB because they didn't have anybody in Chicago. They didn't know anything about the city, and they didn't know that there were some things that they didn't know. Uh, that I should have known because I wound up in the south side of Chicago in a hotel. You know the south side of Chicago? I've heard of it, yeah. I heard it can be a bit of a dodgy place. Excuse me, there were no white people in that place. Right. So here here I am, 6'3". You know, when I I woke up after, you know, the first night I woke up and I I get uh, outside and looking for some place to eat, and after about 10 minutes, I said, I don't belong here. You know, and I had cash on me. And, and th- this place just didn't feel right. I didn't, I didn't know where I was, but it felt really bad. So I had to make a decision. And this is when I o- almost, almost blew it uh, because I decided, okay, I got to get out of here. And uh, I, as I had uh, um, traveled down by cab, uh, from the upward in the southern direction, I sensed that the neighborhoods got less and less uh, nice. Mm. So I figured I would just to take a walk going north. It was a good good idea. But I also decided at that point to uh, kill the Canadian to destroy the passport mm-hmm. and take a birth certificate of Jack Barsky, authentic birth certificate copy, uh, out of uh, a secret compartment in one of my bags and become Jack Barsky because in those days you really didn't need ID at all. You can, you could get on a plane w- without showing anything. 
Okay, you just get a ticket. That's all you needed. But how did you get your hands on a legit American birth certificate? The KGB provided that for you in advance? Yes, they did because uh, the, they found they, an, an, an agent on the diplomatic cover who was uh, stationed in Washington, D.C., found the grave of Jack Barsky at a, in a cemetery. Mm -hmm. And Jack Barsky was a young person who died at the age of 11. By the way, I, I now have a picture I, I went to visit that graveyard. I have a picture where I'm standing next to my my tombstone. It's a, that does not go on social media. Yeah, and that, that that could easily be misunderstood. Of course. Right. So, uh, but anyway, uh, so yeah, and and so they sent me on my way when I left Moscow. I had that birth certificate with me. So now I'm I'm proceeding to um, destroy the passport, and unfortunately. Uh, passport destruction was not part of my training. So you you have to destroy to... your Canadian passport, which is what fake. Oh yeah, yeah. It was a really good forgery. I'm assuming. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You got to get rid of it. It was fake. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so, as I said, passport destruction. I I wasn't trained, in, and nobody ever told me how to get rid of uh, that kind of a document. So I tried to burn it. And I went to the bathroom, and I took a. a, a lighter out and and I tried to first uh, burn the page that had my picture on it and it didn't really burn it just like moved around and, and released a lot of smoke and as I'm looking up the ceiling I realize I'm right under a smoke detector panic but Good, good reaction. I threw that passport into the toilet. I was like right over the toilet into the water. And I got really lucky that that fire, did, uh, the alarm didn't go off because if it does, I'm, I'm busted. Wow. Not only that, I'm busted uh, in a place where I have nothing, nobody to help me. And I'm going to wind up in jail. And uh, then I have, as per protocol, I would have had to ask for the East German embassy, which didn't have anybody. I mean, this would have been like, ah, uh, and I would have returned as a total failure. Mm. <laughs> you know, sometimes, uh, you know, you get a little lucky. <laughs> um, in in the movies or TV shows, spies are usually prepared for every possible scenario, no matter how ridiculous it is. You, however, I believe, quickly realized that you weren't properly prepared when it came to a more cultural aspect of living in America. I believe oh, you're, you're, you're so right. Uh, I wasn't prepared at all. I think somebody so said some uh, one of your friends eventually told you that you're a bit too pushy and argumentative, if I can quote yes. you a little bit. In <laughs> other words, you are yes. apparently too East German to fit in. How come the most yes. formidable spy agency in the world didn't seem to properly understand the culture it was sending its top sleeper agents to? Okay, because in those days there was uh, cultural ignorance and general ignorance uh, both ways. Americans didn't know how Russia operated and what it meant to live in Russia. Mm -hmm. And Russians didn't know uh, the, uh, how to live and how to act and live as an American. The the problem was that the uh, KGB agents that had operated, that had ex experience in the United States, were all under diplomatic cover. So they, they, while they had interaction with Americans, 
they didn't live as Americans. They, they lived in their own compound. They had their family with them. They didn't know what it would take to get a job. And, and they, they came back to Moscow and, and, and they were like super arrogant because they, they had, they had had jobs that everybody wanted. Everybody wanted to go to the US, of course. right? Yeah. And so they came, oh, they look at me. I was like American and I know everything. The, the, the shitheads, I'm sorry. They, no, no, no. <laughs> not at all. They didn't know what they didn't know. The, the arrogance was astounding. And there was nobody within the KGB who could tell him that, hey, listen, you, 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 you don't know much. And I ultimately, I found out, uh, you know, slowly, 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 with a little help with, from my friend there, who, who, and I was already in the U.S. for 10 years, and I was still behaving like a German. <laughs> so, but, in, you know, in New York, you kind of get away with this. Because it's so multicultural. Yes, uh, but but anyway, it's uh, uh, I th there was a bit, little bit of luck, but it was also um, um, desire to find out what it meant. You know, I you know, I learned a lot, except for this one, the communication style that that, that just didn't that didn't play well. Or no, the worst thing in, in life is if you don't know what you don't know. You know, if you if you know what you don't know, you are in a much uh, safer space. And these guys didn't really didn't know, and they were the experts. Nobody could tell them what that they didn't know anything. So, uh, yeah. Can you tell me more about these sort of cultural gaps? Were there any more that you can think of where you kind of stood out like a sore thumb when you tried to fit in because of ill preparation? Uh, some of the other things I I was somewhat prepared for by my tutor uh but uh, but she her knowledge was dated but uh, for instance um in those days most americans would uh you know when they eat they have a fork in the left and a knife in the right and they would cut the meat and then then uh, uh put the knife aside and start eating with the right hand with a fork only that was important uh And uh, what what I uh, what I discovered very quickly, Germans are when they have an argument with you, or you know when they get intense, they get very close to your face, much closer than Americans. So I I learned to avoid that rather quickly, mm -hmm. and that is one of the reasons that I I learned all of these things is my first job. I was a bike messenger, and I interacted with a bunch of Americans. Uh, who weren't curious about me. Most of them were transients and uh, they didn't care where you, where you come from, where you're going. But, you know, I was, I watched them. You were observing like a fly on the wall. Oh yeah. And I'm naturally curious. So, so, um, overall that, that, uh, that worked, uh, to my advantage. And when I went to college in the U S it was in New York and there were a lot of minorities. So I, I, the only thing that made me stand out a little bit was that I was 10 years older than the average student, mm. but, but there were others like me. So, uh, you know, I, I, uh, the, the path that I took and then including uh, my first job as a programmer where uh, at least half, half the other programmers were from other countries. So, uh, 
And eventually, uh, I got to a point where I felt really comfortable, particularly as I was able to soften my communication style. Here's something that's a little bit unclear to me. If I understand it correctly, the plan for you was that you were supposed to somehow get closer to circles of power in the U.S., right? Yeah, sure. And Which, well, plan the plan A was brilliant. So, what it was the plan A? Plan A was for uh, for me to get the required documents to uh, you know live as an American, live and work. That was a IT, a driver's license, and a social security card. I had those. I could get a job. I had an apartment. And then the plan was after about two years to uh, apply for, for a passport and uh, uh, move to a German-speaking country. I'm thinking Switzerland or Austria. Ah. And uh, open a business. And and the KGB had experience how to funnel money into businesses. So let's take another two years, and I'm going back to the U.S. with $10 million in in my account, and I don't have to tell anybody how that all worked and how I acquired this, you know, because I just did it in in Europe, and I did this and this. Right, and And you're immediately injected into the upper sphere of the society because you're a millionaire. Uh, Yes, and, you know, with that money in those days, I... I would have been able to join any country club and I would have been able to socialize with interesting people. What happened uh, to plan A? I failed. Um, but, you know, they sort of didn't help me not to fail. So when, when in Moscow, we practiced filling out the application. So I, I was familiar what the application uh, looked like. And Sorry, uh, application for a passport. For the passport, yeah. 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 And, and I was advised to uh, apply in person. You know, you could do it by mail or in person. And uh, I don't know why. I thought it was that was a stupid mistake. But the crucial mistake I made. So I felt I, I, I came, went to the passport office with my uh, ID. I needed uh, the, uh, the birth certificate, the driver's license, and filled out application, and it was already filled out. And the mistake I made was there were uh, there was one question that asked, "What is your profession?" And I honestly wrote messenger. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that through. And then there was a an, an, a couple of uh, optional uh, questions: Where are you planning to go, and when when are you planning to to leave the country? And it was optional. I left it left it blank. So now. You know, I I was a messenger, all right, but I was on commission. I made enough money to uh, actually be able able to uh, travel abroad. So I should have put in. I should have put in contractor. I see. So here, the guy who was looking at the guy behind the counter was looking at my application, and he says, "Wait a minute. Here's a guy who makes minimum wage because messengers made minimum minimum wage. The vast majority of them uh, uh, minimum wage." He doesn't know where he's going, and he doesn't know when he's going there. Something is fishy. And so he called me back, and he says, uh, uh, we have some some questions, some doubt about your identity. Could, could you pl- please fill out uh, oh my God. Th- this additional questionnaire? Uh, I still was in my stoic mode, 
and figure out, okay, I'm just going to fill out the other uh, question there. Question number one, and, and this is where this, the Stoic finally um, panicked. So the question was, where did you go to high school? Oh, shit. Well, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I, I saved, I, 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 again, with quick decision-making, I, I didn't even think about it. And there was no planning. I just instinctively, I did, this is what I did. I took the, that uh, questionnaire and I, uh, I mumbled something to me with some curse words. And then I went to the counter and I put the questionnaire in front of him and I said something like, I don't need all this shit. And I took the application and my documents that were lying in front of him with me. Oh, wow. No way. Uh, is that a movie scene or what? That is a movie scene, if I've ever seen one. And, and that's one of the reasons the KGB hired somebody like me, because I, my instincts have been most of the time very, very good. In your shoes, I would have just collapsed and confessed to everything <laughs> on the spot. So that's really impressive. Yeah, so now plan B was going back to college and then like working my way up. You know, it would have it would have actually worked in the long run because eventually I made a career and I uh, even had a executive job in a company that co-owned a nuclear plant. And I, the, my last job was with a company that manages part of the United States electric grid. Uh, so, uh, you know, I made it. <laughs> yeah. But may I ask, did plan B come up with a blueprint attached or was it just a, some sort of a long-term improvisational kind of a thing? You were just dropped there, you know, into an yeah. alien culture and expected to achieve that. It it was a it was a dream, and but I tell you what, and this will surprise you as as it surprises everybody else. I was not really told what uh, my value was to to the KGB, what what that primary value was, and that was me actually being there, living in the United States as an American. Uh, again, I found that out through one of those interviews, uh, and I'm going to drop two names. Aldrich Ames and Robert Hansen, you know who they are, right? Yeah, I've heard of them. Okay, yeah, they were they were the most destructive spies for the KGB in the United States. They were moles, one in the one in the FBI and the other one in the CIA. And uh, there there were significantly con significant concerns that the spy war, CIA versus the KGB, would get out of hand. And all, almost all the spies in the other country, the, the Americans and the, and the Soviets, they were all diplomats. And when a diplomat was caught uh, doing espionage stuff, they kicked, they, they got kicked out. And then there was retaliation. And sometimes there were three people that got kicked out back and forth. And there was a, there was a significant fear that all of a sudden diplomatic relations would be cut, uh, would be cut and, The only ones left, if there were any besides me, and I think there may have been this my other friend, uh, to have contact with these super agents would have been us illegals. So everything else, they didn't tell me that. They also didn't tell me, you know, how I would get uh, uh, instructions, uh, what to do when diplomatic relations were cut. And there's also some rumors and uh, even some 
some folks in in Russian intelligence uh, are still hinting that there may be stashes of hidden weapons someplace in the United States. No, no training, no idea. I mean, they left me completely in the dark. They just told now, you to live your yeah. life as an American for an extended My period. life and, and the mantra was always contacts, contacts, contacts. Get to know as many people as, as you can and uh, determine whether they would be in a position, maybe they already have access to any, any kind of secret or, or they will might be in a position one day to have access to secrets. So particularly students, while I was studying, you know, I profiled a lot of students, whether they, they approached them and tried to recruit them. I don't know. There was, I never got any feedback as to, uh, as to a specific job that well done, nothing, zero. How did you communicate with the center in uh, Moscow? Yeah, I got, and I got, I got my, uh, my instructions and answers to my questions, uh, shortwave, uh, shortwave, uh, Transmission. transmissions once a week, uh, double encrypted. That was a pain in the neck, but it was even more painful to uh, communicate back because I had to use secret writing. And that, that took a half a day because I had to encrypt some, some of the information I sent. I had to uh, write a letter, uh, an open letter, pretending I know the person I'm, I'm sending the letter to. And then I had to uh, use a specific uh, contact paper that uh, was used to, uh, you know, put the secret writing over the open text. It's un invisible, some chemical that uh, eventually uh, would be mailed in an... Uh, The, uh, the letter was mailed by airmail, regular airmail, to a third country where somebody picked it up, uh, a, a volunteer for the KGB, gave it to a diplomat, and they went into the diplomatic pouch and wound up in Moscow. So, you know, the communication cycle for me to actually have a question and get an answer was about three weeks. So most of the time, you know, I couldn't wait that long. It, it was, it was, communication was a royal pain in the neck. And I never, 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 and it, again, I, I, I did not know that this was a, a hard rule that for all illegals, illegals were never to meet a, another agent in the country where they were illegals. So that was, that went, uh, was, um, valid for, for, for France. Any of Italy, any of the other countries, including the United States, simply because, you know, the, the, the other agents were mostly diplomats and were at least suspected by counterintelligence and more likely to be followed, which put us high value assets at, at severe risk of, of, of getting blown up. During so, your yeah, yeah. it was a, was, was a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, during your time as an, active uh, agent in the US what was your biggest scoop would you say since i didn't get any feedback i don't know if they recruited somebody who actually uh, wound up to to do good work on on behalf of the kgb that i don't know uh, other than that uh i stole some software yep and for the company where i worked uh, i had access to uh high value software I don't know if that was usable because it was software that uh, that was that's still in use today, 
you know, has been uh, uh, improved a lot. It's, it's software that, that it's like an ERP. I don't even know what it stands for. Enterprise uh, management software that, that allows you to run a big company. And I don't know if that would have been useful in a, in a communist economy. I see. Anyway, but you know, that's, I thought that was pretty good, but, but, but you know, my, my, my hands never touched anything that had uh, top secret with. Right, right, right. And so I thought I was, a, I was, I thought I was a failure. I didn't feel good about this whole situation, but again, because of my, my ability to actually stick in the U.S. and, and stay there for as long as I, I did, they, they thought I was really, really successful. I want to show you something. Please. <clears throat> This thing is the Order of the Red Banner. Oh, wow. That looks dope. I'm not going to lie. It, it's the second highest uh, decoration of the Soviet Union. I received that in 19... Uh, oh, that I mean, get this 1988, uh, and it was was given to my wife. Mm -hmm. And I ironically, uh, when when I I I got the radio transmission where they said, you know, that the Central Committee had to of the uh, Communist Party had to approve that that I got it, and uh, it came with a monetary uh, award. Of ten thousand dollars. The irony of this—I don't have to tell you. You know that make, you know that they had no qualms. They, they just didn't see the dichotomy that I was being rewarded with the uh, currency of a country that we were trying to destroy. That is <laughs> ironic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what? Yeah, but excuse me. They gave this to your wife, who was in East Germany, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Wow. Right. They wouldn't send this to uh, to <laughs> to the states. No, 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 no. That would be uh, funny. Um, I also wanted to ask this: Were honeypots an actual strategy in KGB's arsenal ever, or any other spy agency, or is that just another Hollywood cliche? No, actually, they were. They were. And uh, y yes, and. Um, Uh, this is uh, secondhand knowledge, but I I can't recall who shared that with me. But they had I, I may have even, uh, I may have read it as well. Uh, you know, I have a lot of a lot of friends who used to be counterintelligence. Uh, I also have a friend who who was FSB. Right. Uh, but but they had. Uh, sort of little universities where they trained women. That that that, that was real. So uh, the what's the famous movie? Uh, uh, there's a famous movie about one of those honeypots. You know, women, woman. Uh -huh. Anyway, uh, Sparrow something with Sparrow. I don't know. Okay. But, yeah. No. Big time. And and as you know, the East Germans uh, used uh, Romeos. They used men. I see. Wow! So that, that would have that would have been a better fit for me. <laughs> <laughs> that was real. Well, you're a tall, handsome guy. Oh yeah! But they never oh, Romeo. They, they never suggested that you do a little Romeoing on the side. No. Okay. Uh, 
Have you watched this TV show called The Americans? It's about the uh, illegals program yeah, in the eighties. Yeah, no, I, wa- I watched. I watched every episode. Uh, I uh, also uh, was an extra in one of the episodes. Oh, interesting. So, Were you consulting on that show a little bit? No, I wasn't really consulting. Everybody thinks I was. They didn't need me. Uh, I did see a couple of things in in their uh, the way they laid out a, a KGB office. Uh, in the studio where there was a couple of things that were wrong, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, they, they, they uh, prided themselves on a lot of authenticity in terms of like the clothing and the cars and everything. Cause it's set in the eighties when you were active yeah. as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah, in the eighties and uh, uh, they did a good job uh, being as authentic as you can be. Uh, they also did a, a very good job showing the psychological issues that come with being an illegal in another country. And I, if you, you, you watch this, the, the show, yeah. you know, the, the male eventually decided he liked it in the U S and he wanted to stay and the female didn't. So it became like a, a family drama. And then you had the kids involved as well. Um, but as far as, uh, the depiction of espionage activity, not a, not a one is realistic. It's a very action-packed show, right? And they use honeypots all the time. He's a bit of a Romeo. She's using it as well. Oh, yeah. And, and that's they, have, they have all the skills that you could possibly... They pick locks. They, uh, they know how to kill people. They know how to get rid of the corpses. Right, uh, everything. And, and uh, the and the one thing that I, I squirmed every time I saw this, they would walk around in the city with wigs on their head. Is that that's not a absolute? That's not a good thing. It's a violation. But if you're an illegal and and somebody sees you with a wig, somebody who knows you, you're in trouble. Can't you just say like I'm bald and I'm wearing a wig for cosmetic reasons or something? No, no, no. Somebody who knows you without the wig. Oh right. <laughs> now the question comes up: Why are you wearing a wig? Okay, wigs wigs can be worn by uh, the team that follows you when they change their appearance. Because when they're busted, okay, they can go back home and say, "Okay, there was a failure." And on top of it, they they had a uh, a functioning business, yeah, and two kids, right? How does it work? It doesn't. <laughs> But it it was good entertainment. Yeah, um, yeah, that's what. It one, was. one more thing I need to say. Actually, Please. it actually did some damage uh, to uh, to Americans who uh, uh, figured that this is what real undercover spies look like, and this is how they act. You know, everybody knows that the James Bond is, is fiction. Of but course, most Americans. I get this question all the time. Most Americans thought that that this is realistic uh, when in fact you know I can tell him a little bit how to possibly possibly uh, discover a spy among us because you know I lived it how can we do that I'm gonna patterns 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 can you be yeah, a little bit more specific uh, every Thursday night for 10 years I was not available for any social event because I had to listen to the radio. Okay, uh, and uh, when when I uh, when I uh, stole the software that took a while, 
and I went to work on Saturdays all of a sudden. And uh, nobody nobody cared what I was doing. Well, if you pay a little bit of attention, uh, if you pay a little bit of attention, uh, you, you may see something that is a touch unusual. So if you observe people, if I have a friend who's always missing during the Thursday's basketball practice, he's always missing just on Thursdays, I might have a yeah. bit of a reason to question him a bit further. Yeah, no, nobody ever asked me, uh, and, and I honestly... I would have probably uh, not been ready with a with a good answer. I just never thought about it. There's, there's a lot of things that I know now that I didn't know then. I had a lot of time to think about it. <laughs> we were speaking of the TV show The Americans. What what do movies or TV shows get most wrong about spy work? Usually, is it well, that they're like so action packed? Is it all the glamorous yeah. lifestyle? Glamorous lifestyle is a possibility. Uh, it is a possibility for sure. I mean, for instance, uh, Kim Philby, he, he lived a high life, right? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and the, the, the Cambridge Five, generally, they, they were upper class. Uh, so that's possible, but, but end to end action, it's anybody who, who, uh, let me rephrase this, every retired ex, uh, intelligence agent who I spoke, spoke with confirms what, what I'm telling you now is uh, the espionage game is uh, 95% waiting and 5% action. Yeah. yeah. You got to have patience. I hate waiting. Yeah. I'm not a patient person. So there you go. I would be very ill-suited yeah. for this type of work. Anxious, uh, impatient, impulsive, <laughs> just the worst agent of all time. But you were patient. I had to be. I forced into patience. You know, the, the, the protocols that we had required me to be patient. I am uh, by nature impatient. But, but then, um, you know, I also uh, have Germanic genes and I was brought up to be very disciplined. Okay, so uh, I, I was able to, like, overcome the impatience. Back to your story, the final stretch of it. Your cover wasn't blown when you were still active. It was you who decided to finally get out. Um, how yeah. did that happen? And most of all, how did you live to tell the tale? We had a, a, a protocol of signals where I could, uh, and these were very simple signals. We, there's a, there was, was a sig signal spot where I could put a signal such as some certain chalk marks or something like that. That, uh, at a spot where the person who was to look for the signal uh, passed by on on his way or way mostly his way to, to work. So, and I, that signal spot, I, I, it's clear to me, it, it it was on a road at an underpass where the person would most likely drive his vehicle to the United Nations. All right. So, in in my case, the signal spot was. Uh, on a support beam, an, an iron support beam for the elevated portion of the A train. Part of the A train was above ground. It was subway, but it was above ground. And uh, there were, no, you know, signals could have been something like when I would set a signal says I, when they asked me to confirm that I uh, received and was able to decipher the most recent radiogram, or they would. Uh, and uh, ask me to 
go for a dead drop operation the next day and that kind of stuff, okay? Uh, very simple. And, and one of the signals was the danger signal. Uh, if, if I placed a danger signal, I forgot what it was, essentially what, what that meant is I'm running. I, I, I think I'm being, I'm being pursued. I'm, I'm out of here. Like out of I'm, here I'm as in I'm leaving the country. I, yeah, I'm going to Canada. Okay, because uh, out of the country, I wouldn't have had the document to, uh, other than going to Canada, because you needed no more than a driver's license. Um, so, um, and when, if I ever saw that signal, which, by the way, was the strongest signal you would uh, we ever had, it was a fist-sized red dot on that metal beam. If I ever saw that, it, it meant it's an order. We emergency. Uh, protocol is now activated don't go home don't go to the bank uh, hopefully when i always had to have cash with me so just run to the canadian border so that means your cover's been blown you got to get out yeah yes uh neither the fbi nor i uh have a clue why they thought the cover was blown but they were super nervous they 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 were extremely protective of, of us simply because if we got caught it would cause a whole lot of uh, problems because if we got caught we we have to they have to get us out not because they cared about us uh, if they don't get us out which is what uh, wasn't easy to do um, if they don't get us out they don't get any more people to sign up for the job so I would I knew that they would get me out because they got the Cohens out when they were in British. Right. Jail. So, so anyway. usually in a swap, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and so they were really skittish and nervous, and uh, uh, they they had reason to believe that I'm about to be arrested, and an emergency protocol was activated. Uh, what they didn't know that uh, I had an 18 month old girl, and. The United oh. States picture. Hmm. She she looked like this. Oh wow! Uh, at the time, a pretty, pretty, pretty and beautiful. Uh, when she came into my life, I uh, I I fell in love the way I didn't know th that you can love that way unconditionally. Excuse me. I uh, mean, I just to interrupt you really quick. Was that allowed yeah. to? have a family no, in the US? No, no. Could, could you no, have a no, partner? No, no. Could you marry? Was that encouraged? They knew they knew they knew no. They knew that I most likely would would have sexual relations. Of course, yeah. I was married in Germany and I was uh <clears throat> you know, I wasn't faithful in that respect because uh you know, when you're in your in your late twenties, uh, you know, you have some some maybe not needs, but desires. <laughs> it's kind of hard to live like a, a monk a celibate. Yeah. And, and also if you live celibate, you know, then people might think, you know, what's wrong with this guy? Right. So it was, it was, but, but no, it, it obviously no marriage was not even talked about. But did they know that you're I, married and have a daughter? Did no, the KGB no, no, know no, that? No, 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 they didn't. They didn't. And I, they they didn't check on me because the moment they check on me, they would put me in danger. So I I knew, see when I knew for sure that they 
wouldn't know that I got married and they wouldn't know that I have a child because when I, uh, when I uh, became the valedictorian in the U S college, um, they couldn't, they didn't, they didn't know it. They didn't, they would have read me the riot act. It was not a good thing to be a standout. I see. Right. So, so I was almost a hundred percent sure that they didn't know my, my God, I actually went back to Moscow uh, after I got married, I, every two years I was back in Moscow to for some debriefing and rest and relaxation and meet the German family. And uh, if they had known that I was married, they they would have kept me there and possibly put me in jail. Wow! So I I knew they didn't know, and they uh, then I also knew that they didn't know about the child. So, um, but it, you know, and I I had in my mind. Tried to, I tried to figure out how I can take care of this girl because, it, you know, I I was a loving father. I was a doting father. And I, and uh, the girl's mother, her name is Chelsea, the girl's mother um, had four years of schooling. She was from South America. She, the, the both of them would have grown up in a, in a, in a, in a, in a slum, literally. She and I couldn't have that. So now, now I didn't know. I didn't know. Now my hand, my hand was forced. I, I had no solution. I didn't want to want to tell the KGB not to help to help me, you know, send money to to this girl because, again, they probably would have kept me in a very uncomfortable living conditions. <laughs> so, uh, so I I stalled for a while because. Uh, you know, there was always uh, a reason why I, I I didn't read the signal, why why I didn't respond. And uh, actually, <clears throat> that was on a Monday. On a Thursday, I listened to the shortwave radio again, and they, in a few brief sentences, they explained, uh, you need to get out because we have reason to believe that the FBI is investigating you. Okay, so now and there was always a possibility that the radio transmission failed or that the radio broke or one time i was sick for for about a month and i and i couldn't do anything so uh and so but they eventually got really impatient and sent one of those diplomats to 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 talk to me they knew and I had to tell them that they knew uh, the the path I went to, to work every morning. So, and I'm waiting, I'm uh, going upstairs, waiting, waiting for the A train. And there's this guy who's coming up to me in a black trench coat. And uh, he whispers in my ear with a pretty heavy Russian accent, you got to come home or else you're dead. I would have been no, on I my first it. flight back <laughs> to Moscow. Well, I hear you, but you, you, but you, you have children. No, I'm not a father. No. Okay, so you don't, you, you, you don't understand. Of course, no. Uh, you haven't no. experienced the the power of unconditional love. No, not yet. Now, really, my, uh, I, I had, I had to make a decision because now I knew that they knew that I knew that uh, you know the emergency uh, plan was relayed to you. Support. Yeah. Yes. And I got one uh, invitation for a dead drop to get a passport and some money. And I figured I go and pick up the money 
at least I had not made a decision, still not made a decision. And when I get to that to that spot, which is, is a spot was really easy to find, was a, a, um, a tree in a park. This was in late December. There was nobody in the park. And the, the tree was hollowed at the bottom. Uh, very, very easy to find. I found it. I described it. I knew exactly where where that container was supposed to be, a crushed oil can, where it was going to be. And uh, as I, the protocol of a dead drop is that there are two signals. The first signal is uh, put by the guy who who de- deposits the container, and the second one is the, the one who takes it. Says, "Okay, I got it." So the the first signal was there. So I say, "Okay, man, let me go pick up the money." And there was no. There was no oil can. And that was the first and only time that ever happened that we had a dead drop operation that failed. I just couldn't find it. I walked around for a while. There was, there was, it wasn't like accidentally placed a little close by nothing. So I walk out of the park and I deject it. And at that point, my subconscious made a decision because my, the, the analysis that I did as a scientist, like, so here's everything that can happen and will happen if I go home and here's everything that might happen and, uh, and might not happen if I stay. So everything that was good for me was over there back home. I got dollar saved on my behalf. They promised me a house. I had received that, that nice little medal, mm-hmm. right? And uh, at that time, the Soviet Union doesn't look like it's going to fall apart yet, or does it? Nobody, nobody, the wall is still up also. Right, right. And no, nobody had a clue. That was the, the surprise to and, everybody. And how were you at that time ideologically after spending a decade in the U.S. already? I had uh, adopted uh, the theory of con- the convergence theory. I don't know if you know what that is. What that meant really was cooked up by social democrats in Western Europe that decided uh, that uh, the best thing to do would be to take the good parts of communism and the good parts of capitalism and have them merge. So So some sort of like a social democracy? Yes. Uh, uh, And so what we we have now, say, in Scandinavian countries. Yeah, yeah. uh, And I thought about, I knew that uh, capitalism was significantly more efficient in in terms of wealth generation. Mm Mm-hmm. But I also still knew that there was a lot of uh, oppression of minorities. Of course. Uh, There was a lot of injustice and there was a lot of third poverty, hungry and all that. So let's just put it all together. That's where where I was at the time. Uh, I also was still loyal to East Germany. Not the communist cause anymore. So I... But I w- would not have betrayed East Germany for sure. But, but you know, I walk out of that park and my subconscious says I'm staying. It was not a lot, it was not logically determined. There was a, there was the worst decision that I could have made in terms of self uh, preservation. Right. So, You're putting yourself in, in active danger with this decision. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because they, they laid it out that you're dead. If you stay well, it, the the ch- chances were that if I uh, tell them that I'm not following the orders, that they interpret this as a defection. So I uh, <clears throat> I came up with this. Uh, that was another uh, uh, sudden uh, inspiration. 
I, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't research. I didn't analyze. Or I just came up with this like this out of thin air. All right, I'm going to tell him I have AIDS, HIV AIDS. And I sent him to my last letter in secret writing. I told him, "Yeah, I understand that I'm in danger, and uh, and I I really want to come home, but I I have HIV AIDS, and uh, the only place where I could possibly get some treatments in those days." There was no treatment. It was a, it was a, a death sentence. So it's the United States, and they bought it. But now I didn't know that they bought it. I found out much later when I met my son as an adult, when he was an adult already. Uh, yeah, they bought it, and uh, you know, I I spent about uh, three months uh, taking some uh, some measures of precaution. Uh, so that number one, just in case the KGB was about to come after me, I made sure that I was not findable in the same spot at the cert uh, at the same time on any given day. So changed my routes every every, and I changed also the time when I went to work. I had flex flexible hours and stuff like that. And I also did uh, surveillance detection to see if the FBI is after me. I don't know what what I would have done if I found out that they they were. <clears throat> and I did uh, one other thing that pr- made made me pretty sh- certain that the FBI is not coming after me. There's a way to find out whether your your mail has been opened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote a letter to myself. And I closed the letter and left uh, about one inch uh, that wasn't where I, where I didn't uh, moisten the gum. Uh, typically, uh, letters are opened me- mechanically and then they're reclosed completely. So, and I, I I mailed this from from some fictional address in New York City to me, and when I opened it. Uh, it was still dry that spot, so nobody had had opened the letter. So I was pretty sure. After three months, I I was certain I'm, I'm I was home free. And that's when I told my wife, yep. Chelsea's mother, uh, it's time to uh, you know see if we can get a house in the suburbs. So that so I knew communication that you sent to the KGB telling them that you have HIV, that you have AIDS. That was the last time you were in contact with them. Then everything just stopped. That was absolutely the last time. There was nothing left there. Um, And and I know, I knew when the, when they had received and and read the letter is when the radio transmission stopped. Because every Thursday, no, they actually were uh, transmitting at one point every day. So listen every day. And I turn it on, and it beep, 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 oh, shit. And it's, uh, <laughs> I certainly didn't write it down. Uh, but one day, I turn it on, and it was dead silent. So I knew they had gotten the letter. And it's over. I, yes, but it wasn't over in terms of me, like, being cautious. This is when, actually, the, ca- the period of caution started, because at that point, I didn't know whether they they believed the lie or not. Now... In hindsight, again, they had no reason, absolutely no reason to not believe it because all they knew about me was what I told you, that all the good shit for me was back in on the other side of the wall. So the FBI 
eventually does get on your trail. How and yeah, why does that happen? Later. Not at that time, but at a later time. Yeah, it was nine years later. Nine years later. And so uh, you have nine years of living as an ordinary American. You stop being an agent. <clears throat> Excuse me. And after nine years, the the FBI finally knocks, I believe, on the window of your car. Well, well they didn't knock on the window. They, they, they rented a state trooper to wave me over at a as a crossing over the Delaware River where you have to actually put a couple of quarters in. There was a toll bridge. And I had to slow. Okay, I had to, I had to go. Okay, but let's, slow. excuse like, me, I have to interrupt you here. Um, how did they uh, catch your trail in the first place? Regar I mean, especially uh, because you weren't active anymore. Yeah, it was a betrayal. There's a, a, a person who worked in the archives of the KGB. Uh, he had access to, he was the senior ar archivist, and he had access to all kinds of... Uh, Files in Moscow and in Moscow, and and he start and he had uh, developed uh, a deep seated hatred for the system, and the only thing that he could come up with how to do damage is like copy secrets by hand, small pieces of paper that he smuggled out in his underwear and in his socks, and when he got home, he copied it over with, with typewriter and buried this all in his dacha and and when the soviet union had, had ceased to exist and the kgb was dissolved he went and said hello to uh, mi6 at a british embassy in estonia i believe and they managed to get the stuff out of his dacha it was a it was the biggest uh the biggest uh intelligence-related catch in the history of intelligence. Wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were still a lot of active agents. I mean, the, the Russians, uh, like me, if, if, if I'm a Russian and I'm, I'm an illegal, what do I do now? So there was a lot of uh, um, KGB assets were... were uh, still in the U.S. Uh, or all over the world. Yes, and they were disabled. I mean... It, There's a there's a couple of books that that were published after a while based on the notes. It's it's amazing, and amongst those notes were there wasn't a whole lot, but there was Jack Barsky illegal in the north northeast of the United States, and since Barsky is not a very common name, uh, the the FBI very quickly found that I was the right the person they were looking for because I was the one who got his. Uh, Social Security uh, card at the age of 34. And that was highly unusual, mm. right? So, and uh, then they spent literally two years uh, watching me. They, they, they were concerned that I was still, that, were, that I was still active. They wanted to make sure that, uh, that they were extremely cautious. They watched me from a distance until, until the lead agent determined that I really wasn't spying anymore, and that's when they decided to say hello. That was an uncomfortable moment. Okay, yes, please tell us about it. So you're at the toll booth; they let you through. Yeah, and uh, and you know the the state trooper waves me over. Nothing special, you know, and he said, uh, "Routine traffic stop. Uh, please step out of the car." I wasn't thinking as quickly anymore. As I used to, because that was unusual. Routine traffic stop, you don't step out of the car. You, 
you're just going to have, can I have your yeah. license? And, and I stepped out and uh, at that point, again, from my right, like like the, the Russian who uh, came from my right at the subway, uh, came a person and he, he stops next to me and he flips open uh, an ID. And I didn't have to look at it. I knew that. I knew. I knew instinctively that it was FBI. And he later um, told me that my I lost all the blood from my face. I went white uh, because all of a sudden, you know, the the thing I I had already forgotten that I once was an agent. I, I, you know, I was I was uh, I had a good job. I was in my second house nice house in the country, another child, a good-looking wife. You know, I lived life as an American. I knew I would never go back to Germany, and I clearly uh, I had completely lost my faith in communism and even convergence theory. I was, I had be- Once I bought a house, I, I had become a capitalist. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, and that all just, like, seemed to, like, fall apart at that very moment, or at least there was a danger of falling apart. So they asked me to uh, step into one of their, they had one car there, into the car in the back seat. And the person who was sitting there was a partner of the lead agent. And he had a little prop. The prop was a handgun uh, that was attached to his ankle in such a way that I could see it. On purpose. Little trickery. Uh, that didn't bother me. I mean, I knew they wouldn't shoot me, right? But but it, apparently they were still worried that I might 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 pull out your jujitsu moves. Oh uh, yeah, or run, or run right, right? Know, because uh, they knew that I was a runner because I was always uh, out running uh, every other day. I went I went for a run. Uh, so they took me to a, a motel where they had this was an L shaped motel with about. Uh, um, about 15, uh, 15 uh, rooms, and they had they had rented one one wing. So they had, and at the entrance where I went went in, they had a uh, a guard armed with a machine gun, and I saw another man standing at the end of the hallway. So I'm figuring there was another guard, and they put me right in the middle. Uh, so I think that. Uh, the, to, to make sure that nobody could eavesdrop. Some, somebody somehow found their way in, into the adjoining room. Uh, and there was another little prop that uh, I, at that point I had, uh, uh, I had, had my senses back. I was fully functional and I'm, they had some, some poster where uh, they had some bits and pieces of information such as my code name uh, and uh, an address that I used to send sec- letters in secret writing to and something else. And I immediately realized they don't know much of anything because it was all information from my early years. They got nothing. So so what, what, what they wanted to indicate is like, we know a lot of stuff about you. And that, that trick wasn't necessary, but it, because at that time already I... I spoke before they actually could ask a question. I said to them, I, I know that this is not a comfortable situation here. And I know that the only way for me and my family to, 
get out of this situation with the least amount of damages if I uh, cooperate completely, and I will absolutely do that. And uh, so we started talking, and a little bit of an interview. It wasn't really an interrogation. It was quite friendly. And after two hours, they let me go home. Wow. Not without a warning from one of the armed guards. He said, if you think of running, we, 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 got, we got all the intersection covered. So I'm thinking, you know, where am I going to run? <laughs> Not, there was no place to run, you know. And, and, but they didn't know that 100%. It, it evolved as I started telling them, you know, my story. And uh, the one thing that I know that uh, it, that's part of me, uh, I'm a very credible person in terms of what I tell people. That makes me also a very dangerous liar. Okay. And in, in the 60 Minutes interview, uh, the interviewer asked me, were you a good liar? And I just like didn't have to think about it. I said, the best, of course, I lived a lie. Mm. Uh, but I'm I'm very uh, very glad that I don't have to to lie anymore because you know I'm I'm really wired to tell the truth in your face, baby. Uh, as a German, as a German, yeah. <laughs> as an American, I'm like I'm wrapping it up in uh, in uh, in a nice package. Uh, yes, very it's very soft and gentle, and some, some velvet around it. Yes, uh, not passive aggressive, but I learned how to communicate uh, softly and still tr I tell the truth in love. And so, and that, uh, that was uh, pretty much the end of the story because I became a citizen about uh, like five, six years later. But you have to probably, back. you had to cooperate. You have to give some information. Oh, you yeah, have to help out. Know. Did they consult you on, on some current events or the current state of the illegals program, anything like that? I, I had no knowledge and I could not I couldn't give away anybody because I had I literally had no knowledge. But what was um, uh, very important for them was uh, you know the, the methods and operations because even though there was no more Soviet Union, you know, the intelligence services of Russia were trained by who? Yeah, and some of them were like just KGB agents that went over into the services. So, so they they still operated in a similar way. It was apparently very valuable to them. the the uh, uh, The lead agent of the FBI who actually had to win an argument with his boss who wanted me in jail, and he said, you know, he's more valuable if he cooperates with us. He got a commendation from the from the FBI director for the job that he did. So that must have been quite a bit of value. I had a couple of instances where I was able to uh, consult, at least give my opinion as to how to handle a matter. And there was one time there, uh, there was significant thought spent as to whether they would send me to Australia, where the Australian counterintelligence uh, suspected a sleeper uh, a, a Soviet sleeper who was still there, and they thought uh, I could wake him up. Somehow they dropped it. So, but you know, I think I think I provided value, and uh, go, going forward, I provided even more value by doing an outstanding job in corporate management. Mm. So I don't. I 
whatever damage I might have done, which I don't know, uh, hopefully I, I provided a counter, counter value on the other side. Do you think, of course, we know of the illegals program carried on with the Russian Federation, the famous Anna Chapman story, a lot of also very clumsy work, clumsy agents, the Novichok poisoning yeah. in, in the UK, the, oh, yeah. the famous mm-hmm. funny video of two agents saying they were in Salisbury because they wanted to see some sort of cathedral that nobody knows about. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, but do you think this kind of program or programs are still running? Yeah, they are. Well, well you, you know that uh, recently there were like three of them were caught uh, uh, in... I think two of them in Brazil and one in Spain, uh, and then you know that the ten that they uh, that were caught in two thousand, I think it was two thousand ten, yeah, were arrested, and uh, and they were like rank amateurs. They were like very poorly trained. There's an FBI surveillance video that you can watch on YouTube, and they make every damn mistake in the book that I was told not to make. Uh, and I, I believe that has a whole lot to do with the fact that the KGB had a, uh, was much, much uh, better staffed and had more financial resources. They had, they had the, the, uh, they, they had the ability to comb through hundreds, if not thousands of candidates like me and pick the right ones and then train them for four to five years and then support them. That's, that's a lot of money. And you, You have to have to you have to use the very best that you have to find them and train them and run them, and you know Vladimir Putin doesn't care as much. He he doesn't he he just can't. He doesn't have the the kind of resources that the Soviet and, Union has. You know, yeah, yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't mind if uh, illegals get caught because it scares the heck out of people. Because you know, I, when when the when I when I started doing uh, public appearances. And I always get the questions, well, how many illegals do you think are still here? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. There could be a lot. But, you know, you've got to be more worried about uh, the uh, the Knox. The, the Knox is short for not official cover. The, you know, the exchange students and the business people and, and the uh, musicians, artists. You know, they, they, there's so much more movement across... Uh, borders these days and uh you know uh the um was it maria butina that sounds familiar she, but i'm not sure you know she butina was is a famous redhead who made contact uh, uh amongst the national rifle association and so so she was pretty successful making contact but uh she i know she was not a trained agent she communicated via social media So, so you know, uh, this Putin, you know, he, he obviously he tries to do some more co- complex operations if, if and when he can, but he, he likes to throw volume at the problem and hope, and he hopes that some of that sticks and you don't know. You don't know because if somebody is successful, we don't know about them. Right. And we if they know about them. And like you said, if they're not successful, then at least they can scare the shit out of people, which is also something, That's at least right. better than nothing. That's right. And, and one more thing with regard to the quality of their, their people, the, the GRU is the, the, by 
anybody uh, who knows something about so Russian intelligence, the the best intelligence service of the three. Yeah. And even the TRU couldn't get it right. The the, the poisoning effort uh, uh, that with the Novichok and in the uh, UK. Name, uh, yeah. Yeah, in the UK. Uh, they they could not get out of the country undetected, and that's the best team that they have. Right? Yeah, those are the two guys that are talking about the cathedral. I think they were GRU, right? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, yeah, do you think the CIA has something similar as well, some sort of a legal program? I don't know, and you know, I, I, uh, and and I don't. I have a friend who was a station chief uh, for the CIA in Moscow. A really good friend. I guarantee you, if I ask him, he will not tell me. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I honestly, don't know. But I tell you what, in in my days, it was so much easier to recruit somebody to go from the east to the west than the other way around. How come? I mean, the other way around would have to be an individual born to Russian immigrants who decided, and it's a case like that who decided actually. To move back, and and in that case, you could possibly introduce an illegal who speaks the language fluently. But this is a, like not, you know, that that's extremely lucky, difficult. Yeah, which, uh, yeah, yeah. It would have to be a very lucky stroke. So, uh, and so, uh, in 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 the days of the Cold War, I guarantee you, there were no American illegals in. In the in the Soviet Union, uh, we have to wrap up soon. I've eaten a lot of your time, too much. It last I told, two, I told you, you will go over. I, you did tell me. We you did tell me. Um, and to we should have made a bet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to die. Okay, so I'm I'm not a prima donna. I, I'm not. I appreciate that a lot. I really appreciate that. I wanted to ask, how has the spy game changed since the days you were active? Now we have everybody has a smartphone. Everybody has camera, a camera, social yeah. media, uh, cameras yeah. everywhere, surveillance, satellites. I don't know yeah. what else. How can you even be a spy in this age? Uh, you can, you still can, but uh, you, you know, there's obviously there's a lot of uh, uh, technology-based spying and technology-based communication. So more like sure. hackers instead of like actual spies that we're used to. Like you were hackers, also deep fakes. Oh, right? that's so boring! It's becoming uh, boring. It's not that sexy anymore. But if the deep fakes are really, really good, they can they can do they can do some significant damage. Of course, but uh, it's but yeah, yeah, yeah. Go they're ahead. Most they're mostly meant to to stir up trouble, you know, and and even uh, the, some Russian deep fakes were successful enough to penetrate certain organization, radical organizations in the United States and actually uh, initiate demonstrations. Hmm. Like there was a, there's the, the lady, who, for instance, that joins, let's say, a group that is against global warming. Yeah. And she becomes a leader because she's so good that the fake is so good, it's credible. And then one day she says, you know, we need to do, the, we need to demonstrate mobilize everybody and then then she told everybody who's doing what and i can't come because i broke a leg there's there's a documented case in a book uh, called uh, russians among us i forgot the author right I and that's all it. done online with deep fakes 
Yeah, yeah, deep fake. And, and then, then uh, believe it or not, open source intelligence is incredibly powerful. There's so so much information lying around just for for the looking. Uh, I once took a course in the, the short. Uh, the 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 abbreviation is OSINT, open source intelligence, and I was just. It was but what does that away. mean, open source intelligence? Well, it, you can you can find tons of information about me because you know I've been on the internet for forever, and right. I leave a trace. Yeah, uh, and and you can just oh, <laughs> here here is one example. A friend of mine who is uh, who is an expert. He he knows how he knows how to create the deep fakes, and he also. Uh, is very very familiar with uh, OSINT techniques. Uh, he, I call him up, and he said, "Did you have a good run? Oh, you you're running around this lake." I said, "How did you know that?" And then he told me, he he didn't hack. He accessed one of those cameras that's just out there. He found it, and he just uh, said hello, <laughs> and and he, he could see me. <laughs> creepy that it's 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 uh, you you fundamentally is impossibly impossible to protect yourself from 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 being discovered in some way uh it's 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 astounding and now with all that said what the 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 king of intelligence the one with the crown on his or her head is human intelligence until and unless we can hack into a human brain, humans still are making decisions. Mm. And, you know, it, wouldn't it be nice if we knew what what Putin is thinking right now? And wouldn't they want to know what uh, what our decisions make decision makers are thinking? So, so that 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 part of intelligence is, is not likely to go away anytime soon. I don't know what AI is going to do to intelligence when once we have real thinking machines. Who knows? Mm. Uh, that made me think of that movie. I don't know if you saw it. It's more of a comedy, "Burn After Reading" by the Coen Brothers. It's their espionage movie. No, I, oh, okay, okay, it's really funny. I need to write it. No, listen, I need to write it down because uh, please, please I, I'm, watch I'm, it. I'm I think you might enjoy it. Um, it's just yeah, a lot I, of. I know that. I know the. I know the names. They're funny. Yeah, burn after reading. Right, right. Uh, and there's a phenomenal scene. I'm sorry, I'm going to spoil it for you. At the end, uh, when the <laughs> CIA chief is provided with all the information that his agents could gather about this uh, conundrum of various people just doing random things, and he just says, I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> what did we learn from this? <laughs> I think he says, uh, we learned never to do it again, but I don't know what we actually did. And then he just closes the <laughs> file and that's the end of the movie. And that made me wonder, since you said that, um, you know, after all, we still need a human brain to interpret all the yeah. information. That means that, you know, the human brain is, is still faulty. And that means that sometimes even with a lot of data, we can't know or don't know what's going on. That must happen in the spy oh, yeah. world as well. well for instance, if, if I know, if, if I, let's say I, I get become a close friend with Vladimir Putin, right? And we talk about something and I say, whoa, this is interesting. I'm going to send this to my handlers. And he changes his mind tomorrow. <laughs> right. right. So, 
Yeah, ultimately, you know, in the history of intelligence, I believe there weren't too many really grandiose successes. Because the world, the world is not a better place today. It's, it's a more dangerous place than it was uh, several decades ago with, with what's going on with the threat of a nuclear war. All right. On that sobering note, we're going to conclude this yeah. conversation. Um, but not before I ask you, what's your favorite spy film of all time? Uh, Spies Like Us. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Interesting. This is. I'll that, make a that, note. That, that's a comedy. Oh, it's a comedy uh, as well. It's a comedy, and and the other one is a German one. It's, it's called uh, Kundschafter des Friedens. That means uh, uh, Scouts for Peace. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they uh, East German agents were were actually called that Kundschafter des Friedens. It's also a comedy. So you're definitely gonna like uh, Burn After Reading. What did you think about Das Leben des Anderen, the life, of, the lives of others? Uh, that was eye-opening, actually. Okay. It was totally eye-opening because I I now have uh, talked to enough people who know that this wasn't fiction. This is this was reality, and I had I had no clue that this was going on while growing up in East Germany because I lived in a bubble. I knew I knew we didn't have any relatives that were in the West. We we my father was in the party. We were not, never investigated, and I didn't have a friend uh, who had somebody in the family who was uh, victimized by the Stasi, or Stasi, or who knew somebody who knew somebody. Now, may well it may well be that they they had knowledge and didn't share it. But I had not honestly. I had no idea. Of course, yeah. Hmm. Um, Jack Barsky, thank you so much for this eye-opening, fascinating conversation. You have a book out. It's called "Deep Undercover: My Secret Life yeah. and Tangled Allegiances as a KGB Spy in America." I believe it's available everywhere, all fine bookstores everywhere. Um, do you have any? Well, su- not, not no? everywhere, but on Amazon for sure. Yes, uh, and. And it's also available in translation in uh, in Swedish, German, and Polish. Perfect. Do you have any social yeah. media accounts, or where can people, um, you know, see what you're up yeah. to these days? It's uh, it's uh, jackbarsky.com is my website. I'm also on LinkedIn. But uh, one thing I want to mention uh, for people who who don't like to read, there's a really well well made production. It, people call it a podcast, but it's not like the typical podcast where somebody just like talks to another person. Uh, it, it's a it's an audio drama. It, uh, it's an audio docu- documentary. It's like like a documentary with audio only, which is a bunch of interviews. Um, uh, but it's not just with me. It's interviews with the, the FBI lead agents. Interview with my my daughter. Uh, who found out that uh, I once was a spy when, when she turned like 18, uh, and a few other people in, uh, that, that were important in my life. And what makes it really, really good is it, it's narrated by an A-list actor. Mm-hmm. So, so the episodes are connected. There's historic background. You know, they talk about, you know, when the wall came down and, and the, the kind of stuff. And there's music in, in, in there as well. 
So it, it got a it got an award. Uh, it's called a Webby, which is uh, uh, the best of its uh, of its type of its class uh, on the internet nice. production. Uh, and this is called the Agent. And um, if somebody is looking for it, they should always look for, for the agent and then add the word of the production company. Otherwise, you get too many responses. Will you write the agent and and a, and a space imperative that's a production company you'll get to it and it's free of charge it's available free of charge on all major streaming platforms like apple music and uh, spotify or whatever else is out there fantastic we'll definitely give it a listen yeah. i like i yes i i like it a lot the producer did an outstanding job great um mm -hmm. thanks again mr barsky this was great oi Thank you for listening to the episode. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe and follow on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. As always, eternal glory and gratitude to my producers who are supporting this show on Patreon, the kings and queens, Gordon, Yurechuk, Lorenzo, Veronica, Mila, Carmen, and Taichi. Without you, this pod would not have been possible at all. If you'd like to become a certified Tovarish or Tovarishica of the show too, Head to Patreon, find Smart Cookies podcast on there and uh, become one. It's as simple as that. Thank you.